Today we're continuing on in our Gospel Tool sermon series. Um, And if you're visiting or new with us, it may be helpful for you to hear that over the last several months, we've been working together as a congregation through a 40-thought unit summary of the whole Gospel. Um, And so we've worked through that both in our discipleship groups that many of us are part of, and also we've used these thought units to guide and inspire our sermons um, and can you even believe it that this morning we are already on Thought Unit 32? I couldn't even believe that number when I read it. We've done 32 of these, and they've been so good. Um, and this one is too. And so this morning we're on Thought Unit 32, and I'll be preaching from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, some verses from there. And so I'm going to start by reading Thought Unit 32 of the Gospel Tool. Living out our restored role. In all of this, the church has an incredibly high calling. As the body of the Lord Jesus on earth, we are to be a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God in its fullness. Humble, loving, holy, just, righteous, gifted, and as Nancy was this week, full of worship. And then if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, I'm going to be starting at um, chapter 4, verses 17, and I'm going to go all the way to chapter 5, verse 21. And now I know that this is a lot of scripture, but we love the Word of God. Can we say that together? We love the Word of God. So I'm not going to tap on all of this, um, but I think it's all relevant, and I am going to pick up and highlight bits and pieces of it. So we're going to start at chapter 4. Verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of the life you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks in God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Brittany, I think I've got a picture on the next slide. Now, um, I think most of you know that after I graduated from Dort College, now Dort University, I spent my first two years out in the real world um, as a teacher in a little Middle Eastern island called Bahrain. Has anyone ever heard of Bahrain? That's impressive, you guys. (laughs) Uh, So Bahrain is just east of Saudi Arabia, and it's south of Dubai, and I spent two years teaching 10th and 12th grade English, and so Um, The top picture there is my first grade 10, and the bottom picture there is my last class of seniors that I saw graduate from grade 12. Um, 
But I taught at this little school, and all of the students were Arabs, and most of them were Muslims. But Bahrain is a place where like something like 45% are expats, and like 60% are Arabs of different places. So my students came from Lebanon and Egypt and Jordan and all over the Arab world. And the staff came from all over the world. I mean, we were from India, Canada, Australia, South Africa, all over. We were from all over. But if you look at these pictures, we all look very Western, right? Um, It was a a school modeled after the British form of education, and so my students wore uniforms. You can see their navy navy pants and vests and button-down shirts. And teachers were asked to dress very Western, very modest. And so on any given day at Al-Raja school, it looked much like schools that you would see here. We all looked like we came from the West. We all spoke English. And so even though I was at this school with these people from all over the world for months, I didn't really have an opportunity to taste or see cultures apart from my own. Because the thing is that if a person chooses to meld into a dominant culture, and if they choose to not express their own, then we don't get the opportunity to see the beautiful things about their own individual identity and their culture. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul is working hard to remind these new believers that they've been given a new cultural identity. And he's working hard to tell them not only what that cultural identity is, but how important it is that they not hide it, but that they share it with the world around them. Now early on in this letter to Ephesians, in chapter 1, Paul had begun to paint this picture of this new identity, this new culture, this, this high calling of the church that had been given to those who followed Jesus. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul goes on to explain the power of the gospel, and then he says this. He says, And God placed all things under his feet, that is Jesus, And appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now listen to this. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And that's a lot of words. And they're kind of confusing. Like, what is this fullness and how is it filling everything in every way? But what Paul is saying is that this is the calling of the church. To be the very body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And as the church, as each individual, each body of Christ is filled with Jesus, his humility, his love, his justice, the gifts that he gives, his holiness, his righteousness, as we overflow with our king, the world is filled with his kingdom. In the verse that we read earlier, the verses, Paul does this work of fleshing out this incredibly high calling. And it's interesting that he begins by explaining what this high calling would not look like. Like you'd think, wouldn't he describe what it is first instead of what it isn't? But he starts with what it isn't. Paul reminds the church that before they heard the gospel of Jesus, they were darkness. They weren't just in it. 
they were themselves darkness. And that their lives were marked by the same darkness that existed all around them in Ephesus. So Paul begins to describe sins of the darkness that are no longer worthy to be part of this new existence, this new wardrobe. They are no longer to be impure or greedy. They're not to lie. You think about if a body lies to itself, like a brain says, I don't hurt, or when you do, you can't lie. We're part of one body. They're not to steal. They're not to work for their own benefit. They're not to gossip, lie, tell, or participate in inappropriate jokes. They're not to laugh at someone else's expense. They're not to even partner with those who speak foolish or empty words. The children of God are never to withhold forgiveness or compassion, for they've been given much. They're not to be short-tempered, prideful, demanding of their own way, or full of rage. They're not to even have a hint of sexual immorality. They're not to even discuss the sins of the Gentiles, and they are not to reject guidance or correction. Why does Paul start with what it's not? And I think it's because Paul understood the gravity of a compromised witness. Now think about it. If the Ephesian Christians were to behave exactly like everyone else in the city of Ephesus that worshipped idols, Ephesus would never be able to see that there was a different option. And if these Christians claimed to represent something different, but they didn't look different at all, why would anyone ever want to hear about Jesus or the gospel or wander into a church? If the Ephesian Christians looked just like their neighbors, then Ephesus would never get to see or experience Jesus and the fullness of his kingdom. And the beauty of the Bible is that it never loses its relevance. And Paul's warning to the Ephesians is just as relevant for us today as it was then. And I don't know about you, but I'm often disappointed by the things that land Christians on the mainstream media. It seems all too often that our sins and our scandals of the church find their way onto our home pages, onto the evening news. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been listening to a Christianity Today podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I don't know if anybody's been paying attention to that, so thank you, Brittany. <laughs> um, Mars Hill was a, it was a church around here, too, but it was, a, it was a mega church in Seattle. They're not connected. And by the end of their, their rise, they had like something like 15,000 members, And they had a pastor, a guy named Mark Driscoll, who became viral. The guy was like one of the first celebrity pastors that we hear about, one of the first to put out online podcasts and forums and things like that in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, But over years, there were lots of complaints and lots of investigations. And it eventually came to light that the church's leadership was absolutely riddled with anger and violence and terrible conflict. Pastors could be heard telling really crass jokes off the pulpit. People who questioned authority were often bullied and booted out. And as the podcast rolls on, the sins and the casualties of Mars Hill are really quite shocking um, and overwhelming. By the year 2015, the entirety, all, all 15 satellite churches of Mars Hill have been dissolved into other entities. And there were countless people, um, Like there were just tons of testimonies of people who walked away from the church and even from God because of how hard it was to see people who were supposed to represent God do it so poorly. This is just a tragedy. 
But it's not an isolated story, right? Like we've all heard about these people on the news, people who have beautiful ministries, and then you hear that it's not all as it seems and that there's casualties in the wake. You hear about pastors who cheat and priests who abuse, teachers that lie, Christians who are bitter. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. A compromised witness compromises the kingdom. It's easy to point a finger at these mega church people who end up on the evening news, but if we're honest, I think all of us are guilty at one time or another of looking a little bit more like our neighbors than we do our Lord. We laugh at dirty jokes. We spread some juicy gossip. We share a less than honoring or helpful piece of media. We refuse to forgive and we avoid correction. We don't speak the truth because we don't want to offend. And we choose to complain rather than to choose to be thankful. There's lots of options here. And regardless of what that worldly thing is, the end result is the same. You and I end up looking more like our worldly counterparts than our Lord. And when we look like the world around us, people don't get to see Jesus. And if we claim to represent Jesus, but we're just as broken as the world, why would anyone trust Jesus or want to get to know him? So it's no wonder that Paul starts with this, like, I insist, I insist that you put off this old self and that you put on this new one, which he says is to be like God in holiness and righteousness. Paul talks about this exchange of clothes, but he also uses this metaphor of light and dark. The old self was in the dark, and the world is in the dark, but the new self is light. And light shines in the darkness, and light exposes the darkness. It's important to note here that this garment of light, this isn't one that must be earned. It's one that's already been purchased in Jesus So this isn't some kind of moral appeal from Paul. He's not saying, you know, get it together and earn your sainthood so you can put this on. He's saying, Jesus bought you the robe, kids. Put it on. Like prisoners who throw off chains, we need to throw off the old and put on the new. And put it on display for the world to see. It's like Paul saying, show the world. Show them what it is to tell the truth, even when it's hard. Show the world what it is to not steal and try to get your own. Show the world what generosity is. Show them how to use words to build up and to encourage instead of tear down. Show them mercy, grace, and forgiveness as we've all been taught in Jesus. Show them true joy. Joy that goes so far beyond bad jokes, getting drunk, and indulging in sinful things. It's different. The joy of the Lord is different. Show the world unity. Show them kindness. Show them a body that works together for itself. Show them peace. Show them forgiveness. Show them Jesus. Let the world taste his kingdom every time they spend even a minute with someone who knows. Because when we let our light shine... It literally drives out the darkness that we're all so frustrated about. And when people see and experience Jesus through us, they'll never be the same. 
As a kid raised in post-September 11 America, my very limited exposure to Arab and Muslim culture had not exactly been positive. I knew very little, and what I did came from the news, and it was pretty bad. And so by the time I came to Bahrain, I had a pretty limited and skewed perspective of this part of the world and people there. And so I, was initially, I initially actually really appreciated that everyone spoke English and felt normal to me. But as time went on, I started to see little glimpses of what my friends and students were hiding and what I was missing out on. Little by little, my students and coworkers began to share bits and pieces of themselves with me. Yusuf Hassan in grade 10 brought me incredible homemade Persian bread. And you haven't had bread, so you've had Persian bread that his mother had made <laughs> fresh that morning. And Rishti Arakat in grade 12 wrote this beautiful poem about his ancestors who had been great horse lords in Jordan. My female students brought me sweets and perfumes on holidays, and they taught me how to secure the hijab that you cover your hair with so that I could go to their celebrations. Brittany, I think we've got a slide. Thank you. This is Suhair. Can everybody say Suhair? This is a phenomenal woman. She came from Egypt. She wore high heels about this high every day and covered it in a robe so nobody could see. Um, Suhair taught me how to make this incredible Egyptian dish called koshari, which is just fabulous. She also tried to teach me a little bit of like the, the dancing, which went less well as, as in the cooking. But she just opened her heart up to me and showed me her culture. I think we've got another slide. Each year, our students would host an event they called Arabian Nights, and it was just tremendous. They were there to share and celebrate their culture. They would dress up in their traditional clothes, and they put on a traditional wedding so that we could see what it would look like. They brought in their tent, like their desert-style tents, and laid out their carpets and their tapestries. Um, they brought in dates and falafel, fatouche, tabouli, vine leaves, and all their traditional food. I got to try my hand at falconry. Um, which was a little scary. And then um, Christina Mokatosh in grade 10, she's a Christian Egyptian, she let me borrow that beautiful purple jellabia um, for that celebration. The point is that I got to hear their stories. I got to smell and taste their food. I got to feel the warmth of their hospitality, and I got to experience a foretaste of who they were of the families and the cultures and the identities that they represented. And it was beautiful. And if they'd never given these things to me because they were afraid I didn't want to know, if they'd never shared them with me because they thought I would be offended, I would have just believed all the negative things I'd already heard. And I never would have been able to see the truth. My students and my friends gave me the beautiful gift of sharing themselves. And because of it, I'll never be the same. Hundreds of years ago, a man named Jesus walked this earth. He embodied a radical kingdom of love and justice, of truth, salvation, hope, and restoration. And everyone who encountered him, they were never the same. And that same Jesus has joined himself, like literally the fullness of him, to us. And he's called us to represent him, to fill the earth with everything that he's filled us with. And friends, the earth 
will never be the same. It's incredible to think about it. But every interaction that you and I have with someone or with some situation that does not know Jesus and the culture of the kingdom and the fullness of the gospel, every minute, every opportunity is a chance to shine our light, to expose the darkness, and to bring the kingdom come. When we tell the truth to our friends who are lost or confused, when we make the problems of other people our problems, as we heard last week, when we choose to forgive and we give up our right to vengeance, when we practice hospitality and generosity, when we admit our wrongs and submit to correction, when we speak words of encouragement and hope to those who have been torn down, when we speak in ways of honor, even about our enemies, when we honor God's intent for sexuality, when we live as beloved children of God that share our Papa with the world that he so desperately loves, when we use our gifts to build up and encourage one another, when we sacrifice and worship, even when our basement is full of sewage. Just as my students operated as ambassadors of their different countries, when we operate as ambassadors of the kingdom, the world gets to taste heaven. This is the high calling of the church. And friends, this morning I think we're being reminded and prepared that this too is our calling. Amen? Let's pray. God, this calling might feel a little overwhelming, but Lord, what an honor. What an honor that you would join yourself with us, that you would give your fullness to us, Lord, and that you would call us to bring it to the world. And so, Lord, um, this morning I pray that you would give each one of us a glimpse, an even bigger picture of what you've given each one of us. And Lord, we pray that you would equip and empower and create opportunity for us to bring your kingdom come to our families, to our neighbors, to our city, and, Lord, to the world. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.